Hello, friends, and welcome to episode five of Canadian's Time. This is a very interesting time period in Canadian's land as we are on the verge of the draft, which means for all of us, soon draft talk will be ending, which for many of us will probably be a relief. But that is not yet the case. And so to begin things, we have more draft talk to get into. As it was done, thanks to Bob McKenzie and his draft list, the debate over Wright versus Slavkovsky once again ignited like a rocket firing off into space and off we went and the debates raised among the punditry and fisticuffs were thrown and it was just fun 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 and I think with all the wildness i think everyone is missing the key point that with the rumors that are being spread we must keep calm and rational and not not just jump to conclusions and shane writes a witch i saw it i saw it shane writes a witch okay so let's just um, keep calm. Anyway, Locked On Canadian 647 had on David St. Louis to talk about who the Canadians might draft with the 26th and 33rd picks or some sort of, you know, if they traded up a bit. And uh, his opinion was that Wright will be better in five years than Slavkowski. And also the discussion was over uh, tactics. And Scott Matlin noted that if you draft right at earlier in the draft with one, you get the center that the Canadians definitely need. And that gives them the flexibility with, say, the 26th pick to draft whatever they want but if they pick Slavkovsky they then really have to draft a center at 26 and or they have to trade up this um, made um, St. Louis noted that uh, Owen Beck might be a good target in that case uh, he, he noted he doesn't have the same upside as Wright might have but his production doesn't reflect how good he is. I'm just paraphrasing a bit of his um, information. I urge you to listen to Lockdown Canadian 647. A ton of great information from a, about a ton of great prospects uh, from St. Louis. Um, so uh, Beck is also super mature. He has a great defensive game and can rapidly switch his assignment. And there's a ton more information about Beck on that program. Also, uh, St. Louis mentioned that 
with the 26th and 33rd picks so close together, it would be a logical strategy to go high risk, high upside for one of the picks and then stay safe on the other. Also has been sort of speculated that why don't the Canadians make a, make a splash and trade the first pick and the happy hour crew raised the question and said, well, what would be worth that? Like, as David O.J., you know, said quite, you know, bluntly, you know, who is worth the first? You know, what could you get for that? And as Beth chimed in, you know, we want your arena and three players. And I think that is a fair, fair value for the first pick in the draft. What otherwise are you going to send to the Canadians that would be worth that first pick? It's really got to be quite a haul. And I don't, I haven't heard in the rumor mill, and we we have a lot of rumors flying around, what that would be that the Canadians would get for a first-round pick. In other discussion of the uh, right versus Slavkovsky um, batter and other and other prospects uh, Habs Unfiltered great great podcast um, 263 had on Byron Bader who runs predictive draft analytics which uses a model of league equivalencies and goes back 30 years and uses this model that I don't entirely understand but it's a model and statistics and um and 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 anyway they they do what they do um and he, he found that looking at his rankings which is not a ranking of what he believes teams will do but is just a ranking of prospects he actually ranked Slavkowski at 16 and provided a fans fascinating explanation of as why on that program and I and I cannot um, paraphrase it well so I'm gonna have to leave it on that podcast for you to check out if you'd like to but it it was based on the data that was there that Bader decided that Slavkowski is not ranked where you would expect for the pick. And the the um the Cooley and Wright, however, um were ranked very close to each other and very high. And but Wright was in Bader's eyes Bader would take Wright over Cooley and he believes that even if he he would hit he even even if he's hit a 2 2 C ceiling he might actually get to 1 C in Bader's opinion so that's that's a an endorsement of Wright based on his analysis from his side of things so there's 
there is more data coming in from that and now just as just as a note now I in my previous podcast was for drafting Shane Wright I am for Shane Wright the I've pulled two podcasts that just happen to have analysts that are for Shane Wright there are other experts who are not for Shane Wright and so they have their own um, their own perspective they are looking at their own information their own scouts so I am leery of being cherry-picking it's just so happening that the podcasts that I listen to and these are the sources that I generally listen to as this is the pool of information I draw from each week this is just what's coming out of it it's if if on one of these podcasts Slavkovsky was getting endorsements I would pass it along it's just these are the sources and it's not coming out of there so um, that's just sort of the 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 um, the issue so I mean um, now full disclosure so I don't have a recruits subscription so I haven't consulted that data point and obviously recruits and Grant McCagg is a major Slavkovsky supporter so I don't have that information um, and there are going to be other sources that are going to be pro Slavkovsky so it's it's that's out there um, this is just what the data is that I have in front of me a few other pieces of information out there from some articles that came out uh, Patrick Bexell or Bexel I'm not sure the pronunciation there um, apologies for not knowing that um, did a profile of Jonathan Lekarimaki. Um, so Lekarimaki is suspected of being a Canadian's target, just based on basically because they took him to dinner. So, um, but nonetheless, that's uh, a thing. And there's a just a very detailed profile in Hab's Eyes on the Prize that I urge you to look at. Uh, Sebastian High of A Winning Habit put together five players the Canadians would be wise to target after round one of the NHL draft. I'm personally a Noah Warren fan, so uh, just another article worth checking. And Patrick Lordy in A Winning Habit mentioned that the Canadians would be wise to look in their own backyard in later rounds of the draft and what this means is that the Canadians have over time not been drafting from the QMJHL which it was a surprise to me and I'm relatively recent to the fandom so I'm not going to be uh, an expert of these things but I would be I'm shocked that that's the case you would think that would be something the Canadians would make an effort to do and this piece advocates for why they should be actually doing it and I I agree um, turning to a non 
Canadians issue for the moment before delving back into that matter, though it is a Canadiens matter, the Hockey Hall of Fame announced their class coming up. And once again, there are two things that are wrong with the situation. Number one, the Hockey Hall of Fame has an arbitrary rule that only two women can be selected in every class. That's arbitrary and stupid. The second thing is they once again selected only one woman from this list. Now, there are, I mean, the amount of qualified women to go into the hall is um, enormous. And they insist upon not using both slots. And everyone focused on, well, I wouldn't say everyone, but I mean, uh, when I say everyone, it's, it's the figure of speech. But Hockey Twitter noted that Carolyn Ouellet, sorry for just stumbling on that, I just sometimes can't speak, um, should have been in easily. Her resume is just, I mean, immaculate. And the fact that she was not chosen in, in Scott Matla's words on Lockdown Canadians, kind of cheapens the Hall of Fame, and it does. And um, I mean, it, it, there and and she is not the only candidate that is easily um, somebody that should be in the Hall of Fame. And they, the and the Hall of Fame is also traditionally not chosen um, anyone from overseas just focusing on the U.S. and Canada. And that's also just, I mean, there's absolutely no reason for that. There, This is clearly a major, major problem. And it, it sort of, uh, it, and I mean, I think we can attribute it to an old boys club man mentality coming out of there. And it just, it's not right. And also an interesting point about um, about this is that uh, Laura Saba on Lockdown Canadians said that it feels like the voting process is passionless, and I think that should be explored as well, that there may be structural problems with how the voting is even conducted into getting people into the hall. And that's all I'll say about that. But, I mean, a lot of people were rightfully upset about this. And it's just, it just, it keeps happening. Turning to, back to the Montreal Canadiens, Ryan Sporer of the Hockey Writers put together a piece that was very good, looking at Canadians' strengths and weaknesses as the team now stands and, of course, they're going into the draft where they can ab obviously address things. And he concluded that the, their biggest areas were center and right defense, and that's, and that's going to be even more uh, affected should uh, Jeff Petrie get traded. 
And of course, there's also uncertainty with goaltenders since no one knows where Carey Price is going to end up. But the center position, of course, can be addressed in the draft quite easily if they draft Shane Wright. And even if they don't draft Shane Wright, they still have the ability to draft centers in the first round. Right defense is uh, another area where they could draft players, though the right defense has not been getting as much attention in the draft talk. Um, The the um, but the interesting thing about defense is that, and and this is and this transitions into another article is Ken McMillan for Winning Habit wrote about what he called the delicate dance on defense for next season. Um, And this goes into great detail about how the Canadians have to be very careful about how they set themselves up because they have a group of NHL-ready defenders. They have a pile of incoming AHL defenders. But if they shore up the NHL or AHL by bringing in any more defenders, which may be wise because they have a lot of young, young defenders, that that may take away slots for the young players and push some of them into the ECHL, which may affect their development. So it's a very delicate structure. And of course, and then it depends on, are, is Petrie going to make, you know, still be with the, um, be with the Canadians or is he going to be traded? And, and then uh, what is going to be the status of Corey Schooneman and there's a few other AHL defenders who have not been re-signed yet but could be re-signed. But it, and again, it's a very key question. When you have such a young defensive core, you may want to bring in some just older defenders to be veterans, talent, veteran talent. And that's a, just a key, key question of how you, you just, there's just so many defenders in place um so that that's a that was a really really solid article and i really uh suggest reading that one speaking of young talent so turning to the prospect um there and speaking of defenders no less there was um a, a nice discussion of where some might end up on Lockdown Canadians. And one of them is where Caden Gooley might end up, who just recently finished up his Memorial Cup duties. And uh, Laura Saba believes that Gooley sh- might spend the uh, year in Laval and should. And Scott Matla it phrased is very interesting in he said that Gooley is the most NHL ready but maybe the one you have to be the most careful with and I found that very interesting quote um, and but that it's sometimes true that it that as I sort of st- stumble and over my words here that the sometimes 
you don't want to rush a prospect and hurt their development. The uh, Matla went on to notice that uh, notice Matla went on to notice note I done again. Um, put that Harrison Barron, who we've seen in the NHL last season, um, have shots to make the NHL, but it's a crowded space. Um, and he warned, or not, he urged people not to panic if defensive prospects start in the AHL. And as the article I just referenced mentioned, I mean, a lot of them are going to start in the AHL. Um, the there was, and there's more details in that episode um, about, like, uh, for instance, uh, Joshua Waugh, uh He he's going to get the shot to be in the NHL lineup, but if not, he's goes back to juniors. And there's been a lot more. Pro- there's been a lot of prospect discussion uh, this week. Uh, Marco D'Amico talked about how um, Waugh, Gouli, and, and Sean Farrell have made strides. Uh, this past season Farrell had 28 points in 24 games at Harvard he uh, had six points in four games in Beijing and six points in nine games at the world championships and Farrell of course because he's he's still in the NCAA college uh, game is not getting as much attention as the players that are actually in the Montreal pipeline Um, and Ken McMillan had three prospects who could force their way into the Habs lineup and noted that Juan Gouli could very well uh, be that, but again, there's the question of will Wa do that in his in the early season, or will he end up back in juniors, and will Gooley make it, or will he be down in a, the AHL? And also noted in that is Raphael Harvey Pinard, who's been a common voice or commonly mentioned as a key player who could make it um, after a great year at the AHL, and also. Of course, the Memorial Cup did wet wrap up. The Hamilton Bulldogs fell to the St. John Sea Dogs. So Jan Misak and Arbor Jackeye did not win the title. But Misak did have a goal, though, in that final game. There was a, a Sportsnet article that had some just some thoughts um, some scouting thoughts on Gouli, Michak, and Jack I. And one of the one of the quotes was about Jack I, and it says Arbor is a big, strong two-way defenseman. He's six foot four, two hundred five pounds, mobile, tough, and he moves the puck efficiently to chip in with some secondary offense. And there were some mixed thoughts on Gouli. Um, the uh, article said, I did feel like Gouli was trying to do too much at times, and his details suffered overall. He found himself above the puck occasionally in his zone and forced some plays in the offensive zone. Having said that, he's an elite skater who is highly competitive and can be deployed in a variety of roles. He's a grade-A prospect who can end up being a top-pairing NFL, NHL defenseman in time. So some... Some endorsements of Caden Gooley there. In some more, just uh, just some more news. The minor league signings. Uh, the three players signed with the Laval Rocket, according to Winning Habit. Two defenders, Oliver Gallipo 
and Santino Centorame, and a and that could have been Centoram. Apologies for that. And a winger, Anthony Beauregard, or Anthony Beauregard. Um, the defenders may end up with the lion, though, as mentioned before. There's only so many play, only so many spots, and those those players were not mentioned in the uh, in the overall dance that was going on. The Lions also uh, signed um, Cedric Montmini and Mathieu Brodeur, and that was according to Andrew Zadarnowski of Habs Eyes on the Prize. And and in other more joyful news, Habs director of goaltending and domestic abuser Sean Burke has departed the team to go to Vegas. And the uh, Habs locked on Canadian Habs locked on Canadians crew lack lack locked on Canadians crew wondered what mark did he actually leave on the organization and what did he do. I'm laughing because it's sort of like, yes, what what did he accomplish? Um, I mean, the, there's been other coaches that have, it's, their mark has been very much more known, and that is an indictment. And to quote Beth of the Happy Hour, goodbye, motherfucker. In other personnel news, Luke Richardson, a defensive coach of the Montreal Canadiens, has taken the Chicago hockey team head coaching job. This will, of course, open up the defensive coach position when the defense defense is very much in flux. So who they bring in will be very critical at a time when they're going to have a lot going on. And some more f- fun discussion. Uh, Lockdown Canadians did a mailbag, and they uh, talked about who should be on the Suzuki Caulfield line. And based on who is on the team right now, Laura Saba thought it would be Jesse Yelonen, and Matla thought Evgeny, Evgeny Dodonov, but also noted the spot could be up for grabs and was fine with the Yelonen being on the line too. I found that found about that to be interesting. Um, what is what? What also is noted is that that did not include Josh Anderson, and I think I I agree with that. I think you don't put Josh Anderson on that line. I don't think Josh Anderson works. That was also um, thoughts noted um, on Twitter by Ian Bavere of the Build. Um, it's just you gotta gotta put somebody else on that line. Um, I, I th- I'm leaning more to Donoff, but Yelonen has a lot of talent. Just I just thought I'd note it. It's just interesting. And, of course, Leckie has won the Stanley Cup in Colorado. And as the happy hour noted, Leckie's dad was covering the game. It's just, it's just wholesome. Just some wholesome moments. you gotta got to take the wholesome moments when you can in this just messed up world we live in. Another rumor, um, according to Ken McMillan, who reported what Rick Dallywall reported, there the Cabs might be interested in Michael DiPietro, a goalie in the Vancouver system, 
who was apparently terrific at World Juniors, won a Memorial Cup in 2017. Um, he's posted relatively solid numbers in the minor leagues. I I don't really know what to make of this. Um, I mean, I'm sort of I'm tempted to be like he's just some guy, but maybe maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised um, and probably being unfair. Um, but that's just could be interesting if he's another player brought into the goalie fold. Also, a couple of uh, Lockdown Canadians mailbag questions, which I want to relay because they did <laughs> they were very funny to me. Um, they were they, they talked about what the right number of coffee mugs is. The right number of coffee mugs is, of course, the r- number of coffee mugs that you have. And I urge you to listen to the program, listen to their program number six forty five, because they had the Habs versus the Muppets, and that is classic podcast material right there. And I'm not going to tell you what they said because I want you to listen to it, but that is just classic podcast material. All right, I've talked enough. Shane Wright's a witch.